All right, so this is a class. You're to ask questions. Raise your hand. Don't feel like you're going to totally mess me up if you, uh, if you have a question or raise your hand in the middle of me talking. So uh, please feel free to ask questions. Any, any other questions based on what we talked about just a minute ago on mission? Crystal clear? All right, awesome. So uh, next section we want to talk about is what is church membership? Um, this is, uh, this is interesting because when we talk about joining the church or joining any church, uh, we want, don't want things to operate like we, we operate oftentimes with signing the iTunes user agreement, right? We don't want to just hop into something if we don't know, you know, understand what's going on. Um, you know, it's not that we're just hopping in here listening to music or playing some games that hurls birds at ground green pigs. You know, this is our life before God. And this is, this is our family's spiritual walk. And we have to make sure that we understand uh, what it is that we're getting into so that we can effectively serve the Lord. So taking this class is an opportunity for you to learn about this church and to, uh, to learn about the work of Jesus Christ in this church. Now, our time together today, uh, at this moment, is going to be focusing on answering a single question, which is, what is church membership? Now, answering this question requires for us to set uh, some groundwork, and so in order to answer the question itself, we have to ask some, uh, find out what it is that the church is, and then we're going to have to ask some follow-up questions. And so, uh, here's where we're going. The groundwork is this. First of all, what is the church? Secondly, the big question, what is church membership? And then we want to follow up that big question with, is church membership biblical? Okay, that's an important question. And then, what is the benefit? Like, what's in it for me? You know, how is this going to help me out? This, uh, this became really clear to me, the necessity of having a class of this nature, the necessity of even asking this question when I was in a debate on Facebook, which is awesome, because when you get on Facebook and you ask a question, people start debating, you have people with doctorates, and then you have people that haven't even finished college, and they're all on the same page, right? They're all on the same level, and everybody, it's kind of like this cacophony of of just foolish speaking, and you never know what's going to end up happening. Well, I, I was really frustrated about something about the church, and I, I made a comment, and, and I saw I had 180 comments come after that one comment that I made. Uh, so this conversation went on for several days, and uh, it was quite explosive uh, in the Facebook community that I'm connected to, or whatever. And uh, the interesting thing that I walked away from with that, with that discussion was that most people have no idea what the church is. And most people have no idea what church membership is or why we have it. And so this is really important that we understand this. Uh, We can't talk about joining a church until we understand what it is that we're joining. And we can't talk about being a member if we don't understand what being a member is and what, how that's involved with a biblical understanding of the truth. And so uh, let's, let's ask the question, what is the church? What is the church? Now, when we see references to the church in the New Testament, these are typically separated into two categories. The first category is inclusive. It's very broad. It includes people from all locations and from all times. It includes people who are living bodily and those who have died and are presently with Jesus. Anybody have any idea what that is? We're talking about the church, but these are people that are dead. We have dead people in our church? I hope not. Right? 
We don't have dead people in our church. And so we're not talking about this local instance of the church. We're talking about the universal church, okay? They also talk about the invisible church or uh, the triumphant church, and, and that is that. It is this broad category that includes all churches. This is a church with the capital C, right? It includes all people that are a part of the body of Christ. Now, the second is exclusive. Here's this church, and, and that's the first one. You have this broad category. Uh, the second is exclusive. We're talking about a specific instance of the church. It's specific. That is, it's not everyone uh, that's a part of this broad category, the church. Uh, It's localized. That means that it can be found in a single place. Uh, And it also includes people from a single time. That is, this time, now, at this moment. And it includes people who are presently living. And so you have the broad church, the universal church, and then you have the narrow instance of the church, which is an exclusive perspective that is the local church, the local assembly. We talk about Torn Curtain. That is not this broad category of the church. That is one of these. It is a single instance of the church. We are a local assembly of believers. Now, that first category is what theologians call the universal church. And there's scriptural evidence to this all over the place. Uh, for instance, if you, if you talk about this, you, what really we're talking about is the body of believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We're all made to drink of the one spirit. The whole church is a part of that one body. That's the universal church. Paul is speaking about, not necessarily about a specific instance of the church. He's talking about the single body in which every Christian is a part of. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ at that point in time, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, this new time, in Christ Jesus... Uh, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, brought into a single body. Uh, That is telling us that there is this redeemed group of people that is brought into one body by the blood of Christ, the universal church. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what's Paul saying? He's saying that we're united, both the living and the dead, in the Lord. And that this this is one single body. Now, this body is called the Bride of Christ. It says uh, in Ephesians, I read the wrong verse earlier. uh, In in, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 11, 2, it says, I feel divine jealousy for you as I have betrothed you to one husband, that is to Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin, virgin to Christ. He's talking about the church itself being the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, the church, uh, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. He goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so here we are, we're talking about the church, 
In this whole passage, Paul is talking about the church, and it is this universal perspective of the church that is going to be presented to the Lord. He goes on to say in that same passage, he says, uh, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever loved his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are all members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is the very broad definition of the church. It's very inclusive, and it tells us that Jesus is the head of this body. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And is granted, uh, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about anybody who has been saved by the blood of Christ. All of those people are part of the bride of Christ, which is the church. Now, Jesus is the head of this body. So we have the church, it's broad. We're talking about the bride, and we're talking about the body, and Jesus is the head. It says in verse uh, 22 of Ephesians 1, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him, Jesus, as the head over all things to the church. Jesus is in charge. Uh, And so Jesus is the pastor, the leader of the church, just like we read in Ephesians 5. Jesus is the head of the church, his body. Colossians 1.8, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let me see if I have that. Uh, and so here we are, we're talking about the church, and we're saying this broad category of the church is Christ's body, this broad category of the church is Christ's bride, and Jesus is in charge. And so here's how we define this category of the church, and you find this uh, definition within our doctrine. What you'll see is that we believe, let me see if I can get to it, we believe all those who have been redeemed by Christ, regardless of location or circumstance, are part of the universal church, which is the bride of Christ, over which he is the head. So when we talk about the church big C, we are talking about everybody. Whether they ever joined a local assembly or not. The thief on the cross that died before he was ever baptized, that died before he ever could join the church, that thief is a part of the church universal, right? It's part of that broad category. Everybody that's a Christian is a member of this church. Everybody that's a Christian is a part of the bride. Okay, does that make sense? Any questions on that? Perfect. Okay, so we talk about this broad category. That's what we're talking about. But there is the other category. And this category is included in the universal church, but it is a specific instance of that church. Okay, we're talking about just one of these instances. And though it includes only professing Christians, it does not include all professing Christians. So if we look at just one of these instances, we're talking about this as the church, but it's not the same thing as this as the church. Okay, so we're talking about the universal church here, and every one of these is a part of the universal church, but these are specific instances of the church. And so oftentimes I might refer to our church as this instance of the church. And what we are saying is we are a part of that broad universal category called the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And this is one instance of that body of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so what we see here is that there are times in which the scripture refers to these individual bodies. 
For example, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes, And to all the brothers who are with me, to the churches, plural, of Galatia. So he's looking at Galatia, and he sees there's church 1, and church 2, and church 3, and church 4. There are specific instances of the body of Christ. They are individual, localized assemblies. If you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, uh, he says, uh, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be to you and peace. And so this is specific. It's localized. Uh, and though it's related to the church at other locations, this category is a reference to the church at a specific location. Acts chapter 14, verse 27 says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done to them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so you have these missionaries, they're coming, they're moving along, and then all of a sudden they pop into one area, and they gather the church together. Which does not mean that they went and got a building. Right? What did they gather? People. People. Church is never equivalent to a building, even though you see that as pictured here. Church is not the same as a building. The church is a specific instance of the body of Christ, of people that have come together. And so they gathered this church together, and they weren't talking about buildings. It wasn't like they got a whole bunch of trailers and put them together or something like that. They got people together. They, they had gathered them together in that particular instance, and they were rehearsing what God had done. Uh, they were talking about the church at a specific location. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. He was talking about the elders in that particular region. He wasn't talking about the elders of the church universal. He was talking about a specific instance of the church, right? Uh, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And they had appointed elders for them in every church. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they, in whom they have believed. And so they're saying, in every one of these instances, they're appointing these people as leadership. Okay, So these are specific instances of the church, and they, they have specific leadership. And so in this instance of the church, there is something that, uh, is something that includes baptized believers. If you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the verse that we just talked about earlier, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, uh, 41, he says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so what we see here is that the, the practice of the New Testament is that in order to be a part of a specific instance of the church, you need to be a believer, part of the church universal, and you need to be baptized, which means that you're raising your hand saying, guys, I want everybody to know that I'm a Christian. What you see is the pattern of the New Testament includes baptized, believing people in the church. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, these people were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to that number, day by day, those who were being saved. And what you find is that these people were baptized believers. You find that in that same passage. And so that second category that we're talking about is the local church. We're talking about the local church. Now here's how we define the local church in our doctrine. We believe the local church is the visible expression of the body of Christ, in a particular time and place. After the pattern of the New Testament, the local church is made up of autonomous believers. 
Each local body is made up of redeemed, baptized believers who regularly meet together for the purpose of worship, prayer, fellowship, practice of the two ordinances, and to listen to the preaching of God's word and to practice the Great Commission. So that's how we define the church. You know, oftentimes we talk about the the verse in Matthew 18 where we say, well, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And therefore that's a church. What's the problem with that? You have to have certain elements to be a church. Well, doesn't Jesus say there that you're, he's in the midst of you? I mean, like, that's good, right? That doesn't have to mean it's a church. Why not? He's with us wherever we are. Okay, so, so there's, there's some guys there in a dorm room, and there's two or three Christians. Uh, is it okay for them to have the Lord's Supper? I mean, like, because they could say, you know, we're a church, so, you know, because we got two or three people gathered together. I mean, what's wrong with that? And wouldn't part of it have to do with the purpose of why they're meeting in the room? What if they met together to have communion? Or what about this? Let's say we got, um, you know, you work at Starbucks and you, maybe you have some believers that you're there with uh, that, that know the Lord, right? And so you guys get together and this other person just accepted Christ. And so after work, you guys decide, well, you're just going to go baptize him. Is that okay? <laughs> it would feel awkward, right? We, we, we don't really know necessarily how to qualify it. The bottom line is that a church, what you see in the New Testament, a church is not just two or three Christians gathering together. It's not what we see in the New Testament as far as the pattern is concerned. What we see instead is that you have people who are believers, that are baptized, and they gather together specifically for the purpose to be a church. They specifically organize themselves in order to be a church before the Lord. And they specifically get together for practicing those two ordinances and to hear the preaching of God's word. And so the difference is they're organizing to be a church. Okay, They are making the choice to come together in order to serve God that way. And organize, that word is pretty important too. You're talking about having a leader, and you're talking about uh, operating at, under a particular or a set, of, a set of rules, and you're going to go together to accomplish these things. And so when we talk about our doctrinal statement and we read these things, that what we were saying is that each local body is made up these, of these redeemed, baptized believers who regularly meet together, For this one purpose, worship, prayer, fellowship, practice of the two ordinances, listen to the preaching of God's word, and to practice the Great Commission, right? We are organizing for that. If you look at Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what they're doing. And so when we come together as a church, we are coming together to be a church, to be this local instance of the body of Christ. So let's summarize these two categories. We have the inclusive church, the church universal. We have the exclusive church, which is the church local. Uh, this, this universal church is that broad category of the church at all times and all places. And then you have the specific instances of the church called local churches or local assemblies. And they have these voluntary members. Okay? So we ask, what is the church? The church isn't just a whole bunch of Christians, like two Christians or three Christians that gather together and just, you know, they're Christians. The church is a group of people who are specifically gathering together to be that 
And they're organizing themselves in that way. So then the question we need to ask is this. What is church membership? Why do we have to have this thing? It, it almost seems like it's imposed. It's some kind of modern convenience that, that we have because we live in a litigious society and people sue. And so all of a sudden we have to have a constitution and we have to have all this other stuff. And, and that's the only reason why we have to have church membership. What is church membership? Let's define it. We're talking about being a part of an exclusive assembly. We're talking about somebody coming and they're being a part of this church. Not that one. This one right here. They're a member voluntarily of this assembly. Membership is when a baptized believer commits to mutual service, support, and accountability within his local church. That's what we're talking about when we say membership. We're not saying that all of a sudden you signed your name and then all of a sudden you're popped in there and then it's fine. You're just counted in with the members. That's, that's a real poor view of membership. Membership is, is the body committing together. I'm committing to you and you're committing to me. You're committing to me that if you see me walking in sin, you're going to come alongside me and you're going to say, Seth, seriously, this is wrong. And I'm going to do the same for you. And I'm committing to you that when you're struggling in your life, I want to serve you and I want to help you and I want to pray for you. And you see somebody else within our church that's doing the same thing. You're ready to be there for them. It is us committing to one another. Mutual commitment to service, support, and accountability within a particular assembly. Now, it's important for us to kind of work through that. First of all, this is mutual. This is mutual. Uh, oftentimes, we, we think of this as a one-way street. Uh, you, you know, and one-way streets are, are, are great when you're driving. You know, you, I work off of a one-way street downtown. You, when you get to that one-way street, even if you're turning left and you're turning onto that one-way street, you can turn that way, right? You don't have to wait for the light uh, because you're moving along with the traffic and, and you're not going to get a ticket. But if you did that anywhere else, you'd be in trouble. But the one-way street is great as long as you're going along with the flow and that's fine when you're driving. But then when it comes to church, if accountability is a one-way street, it stinks. Why? Because the pastor's set up as a policeman. And he, it's his job to kind of examine your life and constantly look at you and figure out all the ways in which you are not doing the right things. And, and he comes into this situation, and, and, uh, or you have other leadership within that situation. The relationship doesn't go both ways. There is no give and take. Instead, you have somebody that stands up and he says, I'm in charge and you will not lay any kind of, of uh, criticism against the Lord's anointed. You won't ever say anything about me that says, I'm wrong about this. You won't ever criticize the, the preaching of the church. That's, that's pontificating and that's not what God wants. Even when you look at the examples of, of, of how elder leadership within the New Testament is to be held accountable, it's held accountable through the church. Okay, And so this is not a one-way street. This is a two-way street. There are dozens of references to the local church demonstrating all of these things, the, the talk, all of the, the elements of our church membership in a mutual sense. Not just accountability, but service. Mutual service to each other. Support. Mutual support to one another. And when we speak of a believer's connection to the local church, we have to recognize this is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Often you hear people say things like, you know, the church wasn't friendly to us. Or that the church didn't help us when ABC happened. Uh, we left the church because the pastor was wrong on XYZ issue. Now, I don't want to say that any of those things are wrong. But it's important for us to realize that you are a part of the church. 
And because you're a part of the church, if there is a problem with that church being friendly, you're a part of the problem. That makes sense? If there is a problem with uh, something going on awry within the church, you're a part of that problem. But you're also a part of the solution. God has called you to be a part of accountability within the church and setting things right and putting things in the right direction. You see, you have to ask the question, what have you done to change that element of the church culture? When it comes to service, you say, well, so-and-so didn't help me out when such-and-such happened. Well, are you contributing to a culture within the church that is not serving? Have you established that as a part of the culture? Have you thought about your responsibility in reference to that? doesn't matter what church you go to. Churches don't exist simply to serve you. Churches exist as an opportunity for believers to serve each other. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. It's always a two-way street. Churches don't exist simply to keep you accountable. Churches exist for you to keep each other accountable. You see, the whole point of it is for these things to be mutual. If the church didn't support you when ABC happened, it may be very possible that that church dropped the ball. But the other piece is that if you're a member of the church, you have to ask, what are you doing to create a culture that supports the church? You know, if you've never lifted a finger to support the church, to to get a meal or to visit somebody in the hospital, then chances are you're contributing to a culture that expects all of the ministry to be done by paid staff, which is a false view of Christian service. It's not how we're to think about it. The church is the ministers at large. All of the church is our ministers, not just paid people. We don't have any paid staff, by the way. So everybody is in an unpaid ministry position. And so, you know, you look at a church and you say, well, the pastor was wrong about X, Y, Z. Well, did you ever talk to him about that? That's a big deal. If if a pastor has made a mistake on something, if he's done something wrong, it's just as much your responsibility to talk to him as it is for anybody else. And if you walk away and you've never explained XYZ happened to the pastor, you know what? He may never get that feedback. People leave churches all the time and they don't call the pastor. They don't tell him what's going on. They don't tell him why. They just leave and it's just silent. They never give him the feedback. Well, if he has a problem, why don't you help him? Why would you think that it's not your responsibility to be part of discipling him? It's just as much your responsibility as it is his responsibility to disciple you. It's mutual accountability. It may be that you could have been wrong in that area too, by the way. It might be that, that uh, you may be wrong about the issue, and nevertheless, it's your part to be uh, part of that accountability. It's your job, and so this is mutual. But it's also service. When we think about that, we have to recognize that uh, once we have membership, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, all of our church as being the ministers. It's not just one person or a group of people. Everybody is a minister. The ministers of our church are the church at large. Why? Why is it that that's true? Is it true that the church at large should be the ministers or should it just be the people that are in a leadership position? And when I'm talking about ministers, I'm talking about people who serve. It should be the church at large. But why? Because uh, the, the paid or, you know, the, the people in the leadership position have enough things on their plate, you know, leading as well. You know, they no, that's a very practical element, yeah. I mean, 
people are busy, you know, and, and, and they have to do a lot of work in order to prepare messages, for example. And so we should expect that we should all chip into that. But is there a stronger reason behind it? Why is it that all of us are responsible for service instead of just the pastor? It is what the mission is. And the mission is supported by what Jesus said. And Jesus said that you are to make disciples and plant churches. It's not just the pastor's job to do that. And as soon as we start resigning that to be the pastor's job, you know what? It's very easy for us to say it's the pastor's job to disciple my kids. What? No, it's your job to disciple your kids. It's your job to lead them to righteousness. Uh, And as soon as we start to say that, well, it's the pastor's job to do evangelism. Where do you get that from scripture? It doesn't exist. It's your job. It's all of our jobs. We're all a part of that. It's not just the pastor's job to love people. It's not just the pastor's job to serve people. It's everybody's job. We're all to be serving one another. You see, as soon as we start to push this off on paid staff, oftentimes uh, we, 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 just, we ignore the commands of God. You see, if, you, if we, we put ourselves in that situation, what we find is that God tells us that we are to serve other people, but when we think that it's just the pastor's job, then we can absolve ourselves from that service. That's, that's not biblical thinking. That's not what God wants from you. He wants you to be a servant of other people, just like Jesus was a servant of other people. That's your job. That's not specific to our church. That's the way that it is everywhere. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? We're to serve each other. And so being a member of a church means that you're committed to serve the people of that particular body, but then also support. Uh, you have the, 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 op, the opportunity that's presented in Acts chapter 6 where you have these women who really needed to be served. And, and in, that, in that circumstance, the, the way that the church supported these people is to provide people to, to minister to them in that specific way. First Timothy uh, chapter 5, you have kind of like this widows and orphan ministry uh, that, that's created there. And, and that's the way that the church supported these people in very physical, very real ways. They were supporting them and helping them. You see in Philippians chapter 4 that Paul was supported by mission uh, giving that came from a church. He gave to them to support them, or the churches gave to support Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, you have the pastor uh, who has a right to receive a wage for his work, and the church is supporting that pastor in his ministry. In 2 Corinthians 8, you have churches supporting the ministry financially. And so all of this is a part of what church membership is. I am giving my money to support these opportunities for mission, for supporting widows, for supporting the ministry itself, for supporting pastors. That's why we give, because we want to be participating within this particular ministry in that way. So you have service, you have support, and you have accountability. Holding membership accountable, that's what that means. 1 Corinthians 5.1, Paul is talking, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And this of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul is writing to a specific instance of the church, and he is holding that instance of the church accountable for sin. He says, are you serious? You're going to let this guy stay within church membership? Toss the dude. That's what Paul says. Get him out of here. He has no business being a part of church membership. He is walking and living in sin, a sin that is so gross that even pagans don't do this, is what Paul says. So get him out. 
you, you, have, uh, you see people uh, holding leaders accountable in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, and so there is this way in which Paul sets up these, these, uh, this structure in which you keep leadership accountable within the church. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul keeps other leadership accountable when he writes to that particular church. I read this verse earlier. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so say I again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. What do we see there? Paul wants you to listen to what the preacher is saying, and if he's preaching a false gospel, you are to damn him to hell. That's what he's saying. That word accursed literally means anathema, means to be damned to hell. It is your job to hold a pastor accountable if he's preaching heresy. It's not, it's not like you're just to sit and, and idly allow it to happen. We're to keep each other accountable. Uh, and we're, to, we're to hold each other accountable. Second John uh, 10 and 11, we have that same example. And so what we have here is this mutual service, mutual support, mutual accountability. That accountability stretches even to Matthew chapter 18, uh, where we see uh, that there is this, this uh, very organized sense of church discipline in the way that it takes place. That's what it's for. We're to hold each other accountable. Because the bottom line is we're sinners. We're all wicked. We all need to understand God's word as it applies to ourselves. So that explains what church membership is. It's mutual service, support, and accountability. But the follow-up is this. Is that really biblical? Is that something really that God wants us to have? Is it something that, that is required of us? I mean, isn't it true that you know, we, can, we can do all of these things without actually having membership imposed? I mean, couldn't it be that you guys just pop in and you, know, you hear the preaching of God's word and you serve people and you know, other people serve you and, and uh, we keep each other accountable and we have like this friendly accountability one, one to the other? Why do we have to have membership structure? I mean, it seems like it's so exclusive and pushing people aside. And those people are members and these people aren't members. I mean, why do we have to have it that way? Why can't we just have this, you know, amorphous structure where people want to come, they come, they don't want to come, that's fine. Why can't we do it that way? Well, I think that's really a good question. And, and in fact, in, in many ways, uh, the concept of church membership has been tossed aside as years have gone on. Seeker churches, for example, have pushed to erase church membership, and uh, they want to have this spiritual body that ministers to everybody. Isn't that a more biblical model? Shouldn't that be something that we accept as well? Well, listen, I, I certainly understand the argument. And I don't want to add any unnecessary things to the church especially if there's no benefit. However, in the case of church membership, we really don't have a choice because it's a biblical requirement that's placed on all believers. And I'm confident of that. Now here's, here's where we support it. First of all, when we ask the question, is church membership biblical? We find that the scripture answers us by saying that you are called to submit to your leaders. Now that's interesting. We look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as one who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, uh, for that would be of no adva advantage to you. So, 
if church membership were unbiblical, which leaders are you to submit to? If church membership is unbiblical, how do I obey this verse? I mean, have you guys ever, you guys heard of Westboro Baptist Church, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, let me explain to you what they do. They go to military funerals and they, they have signs that says God hates fags and, uh, you know, God bless IEDs and, and basically are rejoicing in the fact that someone has died. I have no idea the connection between uh, this particular person dying and homosexuality, but they're a, a vicious, nasty group of people, okay? And it's a church. And they have a pastor. So when you read Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. If church membership is unbiblical, why don't you have to submit to him? We have this amorphous spiritual body. You should just uh, submit to every leader, right? And, And so it really begs the question, which leader do I submit to? Leaders lead in different directions, You think, for example, uh, of these people that have this decoder ring music perspective versus, you know, a more music, uh, musically discerning church. Or you have other people who say that that life is all about your church versus life is all about God church. Or uh, life is all about you in one church and life is all about God in another. You know, how, how how do you reconcile leaders of this kind versus leaders of another kind? How do you know who it is that you're supposed to follow? The Bible tells us that leaders are called to care for a flock. It says they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That verse that I read in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 7. You know, uh, and and when, when you look at that, you, you see that there are some serious responsibilities that are placed on these leaders. It says, they will give an account. That means as a leader, me, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I'm going to give an account for my leadership. So I have to figure out what it is that I'm being held accountable for. It's a little bit like when you, um, you got, get cable. Uh, it's always the best because you talk to the person on the phone and they tell you it's one price. And then, then you start to sign up and then they start to tell you at the end, of course, that there are all of these extra fees that come in. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a tax and there's this other fee and then there's something else. And then by the time it's all said and done, there's another 20% that's added onto the bill by the time you're, it's all over with, right? That is ridiculously frustrating. Chris and I got married, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to marry this woman. I'm so lucky, and, and I really was. I was tremendously blessed. But I get married, and then all of a sudden, after we get married, her dad hands me a loan booklet, and I realize, oh, well, I've been married into some debt, and I have some new responsibilities that I didn't know about. And it certainly wouldn't have changed my mind in advance. But the bottom line is it would have been nice to know before we got married, right? And, and it's the same way with taking on a leadership responsibility. Here I am, I am walking into this, and if I'm going to sign on to being a pastor, I really want to know who I'm responsible for. I really want to know that. I really want to know who it is that I'm going to stand before the Lord for. I don't like to pay for things that I don't know about, and I don't like to, to be responsible for things that I don't have control over. If you look at what the verse is saying, it's telling us that the leader of this church will stand and give an account for the souls of his people. So the question is, which people? Well, if there's no church membership, then I'm, am I to give account for all Christians? Who would want to be a pastor? Who would want to do that? I mean, that? That is a ridiculous responsibility. How can I possibly take on that responsibility? 
I don't think I would want to be a pastor under those circumstances. Here's another verse. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. I'm sorry, I didn't show that to you. Uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in, uh, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. So here we have, we have this, this specific command that is given to pastors to pay attention to themselves and to the flock. Which flock? This specific flock that God has made you a, a overseer over. There is no church membership. How am I to know which flock I'm to be overseer of? You see, churches are called to object, uh, eject those who are in open sin. If you look at Matthew chapter uh, 18, verse 17, it says, If he, this one particular person, refuses to listen to them, that is the church, then you tell it, these, these leadership within the church, then you tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so we, if we, we look at this idea of church membership, and if it doesn't exist within the Bible, then this passage is meaningless. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. 1 Corinthians 5.1, the passage that I read to you a few minutes ago, uh, where it talks about this person that's in gross sin. Uh, you look at this passage, you look at any of the other passages, none of them make any sense if there is not to be, by the requirement of God, people to focus on a specific set of leaders because they're within a specific instance of the church because they've committed themselves to that church. You see, none of these things make sense without church membership. So, what we have here is we define the church. We ask, what is church membership? Of course, we need to know whether or not that's biblical, and it is. And then finally, we ask, what is the benefit? Like, what do I get from this? I mean, it seems like it, it, it's going to require a lot of me. It seems like if I'm going to join a church, it's, it's going to require me to serve others and to support people and to be, give myself towards accountability and be held accountable. I mean, what am I going to get from this? Well, there's a lot that's required from me. And when you look at this, it seems like they're, 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 this is expensive. So, there are three responses to this. When we ask the question, what do I get from this? My first response is for me to reject the question. Life is not about you. It's not. You, you've been bought with a price. Jesus has paid for your soul. And so, and so this is not, when we think about Christianity, it's not all about what do I get from this? It's all about how can I serve the Lord? And, and I need to be giving myself towards that. But if I was to entertain the question, I, I would have to say, this is not really so much an issue of choice as an issue of obedience. When we ask a question like, what do I get from this thing? It's, it's not like I, I, am, I am going to choose whether or not I'm going to participate in these elements of church membership. That's what God wants you to do. Regardless of where you are and what capacity and what church you're talking about, God wants you to be a part of a church. It's his will. This isn't, let's not fabricate a choice here. The choice is, do I obey God or not? That's really the choice. God wants you to be a part of church. And so third, uh, lifetime church attendance without membership is not only disobedient, it's irresponsible. Um, it seems as though we might be able to say, okay, well, I can just continue to go to church and I can never join a church, and that's okay. 
as if not committing to it is, is not a big deal. Well, listen, that's like, that's like living with someone and never actually getting married. I mean, you have all the benefits of marriage with no commitment. God wants you to commit to this thing. God wants you to be together. He wants you to be joined to a church in this way. So when we ask the question, what is church membership? And we ask the nature of this, we have to recognize that church membership is God's will for you. This is what God wants you to do. Now, I'm not saying that this church is the place that you should join. I'm saying you need to join a church. I'm saying that you need to find somewhere that preaches the gospel. You need to find somewhere that is going to make disciples and you get to be a part of that. You need to find somewhere that is going to hold to God's word and truly value it. And you need to find somewhere that is going to help you have opportunities to serve and serve you. You're going to need to find somewhere that is going to give you opportunities to support and it's going to support you. You need to find somewhere that's going to hold you accountable and give you the opportunity to hold others accountable. That's what you need to find. But the bottom line is, it's God's will for you. It's not like you can just walk through life thinking that church membership is just an optional piece of Christianity. It's not. God wants you to be a part of church. He wants you to be a part of a community. And listen, let's not forget that there's just so many wonderful benefits that come as a result of this. We are blessed through this and encouraged through this and discipled through this. This is the heartbeat of God. He loves the church. You should love the church that way too. Being a part of a church is God's will for you. And so you need to prayerfully seek after where that would be. Whether that's a torn curtain, which I would, you're here, and I would really love for you to be here. I would really love for you to be members here. But if that's not God's will for you, I don't want to push an issue. I want you to go where God wants you to be. And so you need to prayerfully consider this because this is a big deal. This is your next step and where God wants you to go for your life. Okay? What questions do you have on this? (laughs) Seriously, no questions at all? So God makes the church clear. He wants it to be a group of believing people, baptized, gathering together, organized to accomplish his will in the community, okay? So this this community of believers that get together regularly, that support each other, that pray for each other, that that want to hear God's word preached, that practice the ordinances, that's what a church is. And that particular instance of a church has membership, okay? And the leaders are held accountable for that group of people. That group of people is held accountable to each other. They serve each other. They support each other. That's where our church covenant comes in. That's why we say, listen, this is what we're going to do for each other. This is what you're going to do for me. That's what I'm going to do for you. We're going to love each other in this way. And and this is very biblical because God lays it out, the ways in which a a pastor is to be responsible, the way in which people are to be held accountable in a particular instance. It is biblical. And in the end, it's God's will for you, wherever you end up going, whether it's this church or another. That's what God wants. Okay, so listen, uh, we're going to have lunch here in a second. If you have any questions about any of these things that we've talked about uh, today or just questions in general about the church, please ask me. Uh, happy to talk through these things and, uh, and, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, try and clarify whatever questions you might have. Let's, let's pray. God, we are grateful for inventing the church. I'm so thankful for the people that you've brought to this particular instance of the church, for the ways in which they're a blessing to me, for the ways in which I am seeing 
mutual service and support for the ways in which people are constantly loving each other. So thankful for the many benefits that we are experiencing as a body of, uh, of, of Christ together as a church, for the ways in which we love each other. It's just a joy. And so I pray for these, that each one of them would know your will, that you would give them clear direction about where you want them to be a part of your church, whether it is at Torn Curtain or whether it's somewhere else. Help them to find a place that they can completely throw themselves to, that they could dedicate their effort in ministry, dedicate their support financially, dedicate their heart in in service. And so I pray that you please give them leadership and give us leadership, Lord, as we move next steps with this church. I'm so grateful for all that you've brought. We pray that you continue to bring more. We pray that you please bless our food and that you'd encourage us in our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.